So welcome everyone. Really uh, delighted to be here in, uh, at New York Insight um, and to see many uh, familiar faces and friends and uh, hopefully have an opportunity to meet new friends and make alliances and to support each other in our Dharma adventures. Uh, <laughs> so um, Kitty Sara is going to begin this morning session. We've got, um, we're going to just do a little bit more focus in on the practice. He gives some opening uh, Dharma uh, to take us into the territory we want to explore today. The, uh, the, the overarching theme is from uh, separation to seamless reality. It's just a small topic, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll have a stab at that. <laughs> Um, and then we'll break for lunch at 1 until 2. We'll take an hour for the lunch, and um, we'll go come back uh, for the afternoon session at 2 o'clock and aim to finish just a little bit before 5 p.m. So I hope you can uh, stay with us for the day. It's really great to be able to take some time out from the momentum of it all to... Um, collectively enter this period of contemplation and reclamation of what is important, connecting with our hearts, body, and calming mind. Matthew, would you call the... Lama Thank you, uh, Matthew. Uh, for the ancient uh, invitation request uh, to turn the Dharma wheel, as uh, Tendisra spoke last night, Brahma Sahampati uh, represents that great uh, divine compassionate response that after the Buddha was enlightened he because his awakening was so subtle and the world was enraptured with lust enraged with aversion entangled in delusion he thought who's going to understand this extraordinary simplicity after all his striving, all his searching, he realized he was like the 
person who had lost a precious, precious jewel and realized they'd been looking everywhere and it was all along, right on their own forehead. That when he wasn't so enchanted by the discriminations, the separations, the realities created, by being mesmerized by our language, what we take so for granted, me, you, here, there, my stuff, my life, my things, my people, them, it, otherizing, it's out there, not my concern, when we're enchanted, mesmerized by the separations that language, that a certain relationship with language creates, then we become bound by what we're clinging to. In the Buddha's investigation into reality, with a childlike interest, what is really here? When he systematically, persistently, patiently looked into all that he took to be me and mine, this body, these feelings right now of sitting here together, in New York City, these thoughts that tell us it is morning, the beginning of the weekend retreat at New York Inside, these feeling tones of how we're, how we are, excited or anxious, burdened or dislocated. When he actually looked into the suchness, the as-isness of this moment and and noticed that uh, the retreat, the weekend retreat, which sounds so solid because of the nature of nouns, me, this, whatever would be good or disappointment, when he actually came closer to like this retreat, opening talk, noticing the sounds, this so-called retreat thing, just being here in, in New York City, all these sounds, And even sound sounds like a thing, but as we open our hearts to the suchness of being sensitively aware, the vibratory, ever-changing nature of sound, arising, shifting, vibrating, dissolving into a listening, 
never the same for an instant, vibrating, shifting. Same with his body when he noticed this so-called me, my life. When he trained himself to be here patiently, noticing this body expanding and contracting, breathing in and breathing out, sensations changing every moment. That even though language makes us think this, me, mine, my life, my happiness, or my despair, when he looked closer at feelings, sensations, forms, just like the sounds of being here, opening to the suchness of this retreat, he noticed they all were continually shifting, dissolving. Everywhere he pointed his awareness, forms, inner, outer, feelings, sensations, moods, he recognized this cascading flow of change. Wanting the change not to be changing, wanting the change to be steady and reliable, he realized was a recipe for failure, futility, a recipe for distress, Wanting change to be other than what it is. He, our teacher Arjun Chah says it's like being at a river and arguing with it. Why, why are you flowing that way? Or he said it's like boxing a tree. If you box a tree, you're going to reap weariness and pain. Wanting the changing to be certain. creates distress. So in recognizing the cascade of change, and even though language tells us this is me and mine, it's a way of talking that my life is is ever-changing and that we are subject, as all forms are, to aging and sickness and dying and disappearing just like every day dissolves into night, every in-breath shifts, vibrates, changes, peaks, subsides into out-breath. In recognizing that ever-changing nature, the Buddha naturally relinquished this obsession with owning You can talk about something as being mine, but it's not really. It's a way of talking. And in that relinquishing, that letting go, waking up to this background, this source, this ever-present ground being. Why he was reluctant to, to teach was After his awakening, he realized, wow, I didn't attain anything. This jewel that's always here, this bright, ever-present 
knowing, sensitive listening. This stillness, the irony is that stillness is not apart from movement. Silence is not apart from sound. The more we resent the movement to find calm and stillness, the more we block out the periphery to try to locate the center. The more we're averse to sound so that we can finally discover silence, that we, we create walls distress, anxiety, in opening, for example, to sound, appreciating its ever-changing vibration, the vibrancy of New York City. Softly, Relaxed, allowing those sounds to ripple, peer, dissolve in this automatic, effortless, inherent listening. The more we accept the ever-changing beauty and perfection of sound, we are in already resting in the stillness in opening to movement, honoring the movement of sound, sensations. A nervous system that maybe is a little tired this morning. An attention that's here a bit and then flits. All these movements, what if we just allow the movement to be? Ever-changing in acknowledging the movement, one is resting in the stillness. Every sound keeps dissolving back into the listening silence. The Buddha's quest was all those years of striving was wondered whether is there anything truly secure that doesn't die, that isn't born, that doesn't age. And when he clung, clung, grasped compulsively to pleasure, it kept dissolving. Then when he tried to vault himself into subtle, subtle, even disembodied, peaceful states where stillness was apart from anything else, seemed to be at least. When he was studying with the yogis, the Olympic yogis of the time, he would go into this disembodied, subtle state called the realm of nothingness. It was peaceful. There was no contact. But he came down 
Then when he thought, oh, I'm coming down because this wicked world of pleasure, senses, is drawing me back. Recognize that voice telling us uh, he had to conquer the sense world through aversion and pain. He tortured himself for years. Starved himself, thinking he could break the bond. And then the sacred, his notion of the sacred was off in some disembodied other place, some other heaven, some over there, away from this world of change. He got so weak, when he scratched his stomach, he felt his backbone from starving himself. When he scratched his head, the hair would fall out. When he tried to pee, he'd just fall over. He had no strength. He had the question, might there be another way? He tried the way of clinging to pleasure when he was in the palace. Don't like something, just change the channel to something pleasing. But he knew he couldn't outrun old age, sickness, and death. So then he tried the way of vaulting into the subtle states. Keep kept coming down. He tried the way of crushing, keeping at bay. Forcing. Controlling the mind. And he just was tense exhausted. When he had the question, might there be another way, he remembered. In that question, for a moment, he let, left aside opinions, his view. What views do we have? That the way to happiness, many of us have the idea that it's not here. It's, it's when I do enough good works, when, when I overcome those, that lust problem and that, you know, anger issue, and when I really get together my pension, and uh, then, then there'll be the way we put into the future. Might there be another way? When he had a question, he let aside for a moment his conviction that, no, this is the way. Pushing away pleasure, grasping at pleasure, getting out of here, all his other strategies. When he asked the question, might there be another way? The mind went blank for a moment and just, hmm. He had the memory of a child when he was a child. And he remembered when he, at his father's festival, his father was a great chief or maybe a king in the Sakian kingdom. It was a big harvest festival, activities, speeches, dances, foods, conversations, activity, complexity. He remembered just pulling back 
just as a, a child, he remembered just moving to the edge, retreating to the shade of a rose apple tree. He didn't say, oh, I was, I hated the festival. He just said he, Veka, he withdrew. And with the innocence of a child, he turned his body to this moment, the simplicity of this body sitting and breathing. The inner body, the outer body with all our opinions, images, big, small, tall, short, this category, that category, this that needs improving, that that needs improving, that's my good bit, that's, where's my good side? I sometimes can't find a good side. Outer image, this is turning to the inner sensation, just sitting, receiving the sensation of sitting and breathing. And he noticed that when the mind received, let go of the outer complexity, the multiplicity of the festival with this and that and those colors and what he liked and didn't like and looked forward to and, and turned just to being with body breathing, that there was a simplifying, a unifying. And when that pleasure welled up, the pleasure of it welled up from the heart wasn't based on holding on to something from outside. It just received the simplicity of breathing in and breathing out. That didn't push anything away. That just allowed the sounds to be sounds. The festival the speeches, all the activities still going on around us. We're like that young child. We've withdrawn for a time from all the fray and activities to sit under the shade of this little sanctuary. Letting the sounds of the activity just be what they are, movement, We don't have to knock them out. Any echoes from our travels here, letting it be. And in honoring the movement of the sounds, aligning with the listening, aligning with finding our body in that vibratory sustained reminder that this body is being pulled to the ground by Mother Earth, feeling the pressure, the body resting on the ground, breathing in and breathing out. When the Buddha remembered that pleasure as a child, he thought, why am I being afraid of this? 
It's not harming anyone. But I can't practice this without eating something. So he gave up the austere practices, received an offering from a a lovely maiden who happened to be nearby noticing his austerities. He received that meal, regained his strength. His colleagues abandoned him because they thought he'd reverted to luxury. But then in practicing, calming, steadying, and then recognizing this changing nature of sensation and sound and feeling and everything we take to be me, in that recognition and letting go, letting things do what they do, come and go, he noticed that ever-present listening, that awareness that's always here. That's why he was reluctant to teach. Who would believe it? And when he was almost going to give up, that's then when, thinking no one will understand, that's when Brahma Sahampati, the great heavenly, compassionate one, appeared to the Buddha, and just as Matthew chanted, Venerable Sir, for those who have a little dust in their eyes, please turn the Dharma wheel. Because for not hearing it, for not hearing the Dharma, they'll fall away. Taking the unreal to be real and the real to be unreal. One never arrives at peace. That's what the Buddha saw. Because language makes the the real solid stuff, according to our language, is me and mine. That's the sacred ground. That's where security is. What I can get and hold on to. My health and my happiness and my security taking the unreal to be real. It's not that it's absolutely unreal, but as we contemplate, as the Buddha contemplated all, like our body, our success, whatever we think we have in this moment as a possession, just like the nature of sounds, which is giving us a Dharma talk, they keep dissolving. in taking the real to be unreal, this underlying, invisible. It's not visible to the eye. What is it when every sound dissolves? Each sound, the sound of this phrase, when that phrase dissolves, what remains? Before the next sound comes, you can't point to that 
listening, that awareness. We are that. Taking the real to be unreal, this idea that there is an unshakable, undying, ever-present, always here and now, ground of being that every sound, every sensation continually arises and merges back into can sound crazy because with the nature of language we get so addicted by what we can see. This tendency to take what is changing to be solid, the Buddha called that papancha, conceptual proliferation. The actuality of our experience right now is a cascading, interweaving stream of sight and sound. Sights and sounds interweaving, mixed with the sensations of our clothing touching the skin the body pressing the chair or the cushion, interweaving with different perceptions and thoughts one has, impulses. That's what's actually, actually, as it is, occurring for us. But out of that stream, notice how we without even thinking about it, say, oh, I'm seeing, I'm feeling pretty good, or I don't know, it's, could have been a mistake. I wonder how long he's going to go on for, there could be a break, I can make a getaway. I Notice there's actually a stream and yet language comes and creates no I see. See, there's the sights and it's I seeing. And the sounds, yeah, this is not Dharmagiri, man. All those sounds. I'm hearing all those sounds. I like the sounds, I don't like the sounds. It's called proliferation, even though the source of proliferation can be the simplest, most Innocent little stroke in English is just one little line, one little short line, I, or short word, me. But notice that I, immediately arising with the I, is you, it, me, them. It multiplies. We've actually created when that, what the Buddha called sankara, in that when we create an eye, which which is done in a moment, the, the creation actually arises and ceases, but we can keep it going by just assuming, oh, this is happening to me. And, uh, okay, I don't got it together now, but I'm, I'm getting there. Once I do this practice and I get a little bit more together and my portfolio fattens, it's got to fatten. 
where I'm in trouble and, and the right people get in charge and we can finally get this thing going, right? Then I'll, I'll, I'll get there and we can be moved because we're heading to... Then we get to a mood and a place of success and happiness and how often do we notice the light is beautiful like a stunning African sunset. Whoa! The liquid, luminous colors. The golds and the blues, the reds, and the grays and the blacks intermingle that precious moment in the heart leaps, which is wonderful, but it shifts. Once another subtle being asked the Buddha, called Saka, A, uh, what's called a divine being, he asked this question. He, he said to the Buddha, why do beings who wish to live in peace and harmony end up living in conflict and hate? He noticed that amongst heavenly beings, amongst beings here on earth, if the wish, if you ask someone, no, I, I, I would like there to be happiness, harmony. And he just wondered why, what goes wrong? There's the desire for peace and harmony. Why do we end up with conflict and hate? And, and there is, we certainly can recognize a lot of conflagrations, incredible amount of fighting, Discord, blaming, protecting. And the Buddha answered him. He, he said, well, the cause is because of envy and stinginess. And the Saka, the great god of the 33, thought, oh yeah, that's wonderful, I I got that. Envy and stinginess. Notice what those moods do, them, what they got. How come I don't got what they got? Notice the divisiveness, them, what they got. They don't deserve what they got. Why don't I got what they got? And then stinginess, that... It's mine. I deserved it. It's mine. That's your problem. There's not that much to go around. Stinginess, envy. Notice the separation. And then Saka said, yeah, but but, let's keep tracking this back. Why does envy and stinginess happen? And the Buddha said, because of like and dislike. Something that seems so harmless. No, 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 I I like it better that way. 
No, no, don't like it that way. This is the way I like it. Don't like it like that. I like it like this. Something so harmless, but when we concretize that, when it becomes really powerful, wanting to keep what I like, wanting to get rid of what I don't like, then we start constellating out this me, mine, protection, they, them, and it gives rise to this envy. The Buddha keeps... Saka wouldn't stop there. He said, yeah, but Lord Buddha, how does like and dislike? The Buddha tracked it back to desire, the mind that's wanting something. Notice it's leaving the present moment to... No, no, I I want something that's not here. And Saka said, but where does desire come from? The Buddha said, thinking. When we start thinking, then we can start conjuring up what's wrong, what's not here, or what I want. And then finally Saka said, yeah, but where does thinking come from? Where's the really root cause that goes all the way to conflict and hate? And the Buddha said, papancha. Conceptual proliferation. This taking what is actually a stream, a cascading stream. The actuality right now, we can go right to it when we listen to sound. This this stream. Can you really put a word to that? You, You can say, well, New York sounds, but ever-changing. You can start wrestling, it should or shouldn't, I like it, I don't like. When I just open to it, make peace with it, that ever-changing stream of sounds reveals the unmoving listening, the stillness of the listening. What an irony. You can't separate Movement and stillness, they're indivisible. The more you want your stillness to be apart from movement, your silence to be apart from sound, one's in a war. That preferring, the liking, the disliking. When we take this flow and try to stack a word on it, and then believe that word to be the reality. Me, mine. It creates a, a thing, an it, my, my, my stuff, my attainment. That that's what creates the whole thing. And the Saka said, well, what can we do about that? That tendency, because once you're so innocent, a me, a you, a here, a there, then it it fragments into the 84,000 things. And then we try to find our little bit in there and hold on for security to me and mine. And that leads to all this stinginess and envy. The Buddha said we practice nipapancha. We practice non-proliferation. 
we actually realize that every so-called thing is not a thing. Each sound is dissolving back into the ground of listening. Every thought keeps merging back into this source of presence, of awareness. When we get fooled by language, by thought, and these categories that lead to this proliferation, there can be a mood of feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. Actually, it's just like that stream of sounds, the hum of the city that never sleeps. That hum of the city that never sleeps is vibrating within an ever-present listening, which is our true heart. Just like that unbroken stream of vibration and creation that's melting, so can that mood of, oh, it's too difficult, it's too... I just, you know, it's fine. You can't do it. It's just, I'm useless. And that can seem so solid, so real. We can, we can be so low, we think it's not worth it. We can take our own lives. Or get so caught up in the rage of who's keeping me from what, where my real happiness is. We take somebody else's life by otherizing through this papancha, me, mine, the good stuff, them, slap a word, alien on, or some other demeaning, otherizing. They don't count. When we do that, the Buddha said, it's like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas and taking notice of only a single bubble seeing it as the entire ocean. Imagine looking at a bubble, being intoxicated with its light. It's beautiful. It's it. It's mine. We think it's everything. Not aware that it pops. It's insubstantial. And it's merging In focusing on the bubble, being totally mesmerized by the bubble, we miss this vastness of the ocean. That that bubble is inextricably merged with. When we're overwhelmed, enchanted, mesmerized by a mood, that's like a bubble of despair or rage or confusion, We lose sight of the ocean. In our Dharma practice, when we open to change, open to this moment as it is, allow ourselves not to be so mesmerized by the thoughts. Then that bubble, that mood, just like a sound, the sound of this thought, like that child that just pulled a little bit back from the festivities, just as we're pulling back, we're not crushing our life, 
which is pulling back in a day of retreat, a day of giving space, getting perspective, a day where we honor listening, then whatever the stories, these things that we get so entangled with, can just like the sound of this thought now, we notice the thought, but we notice what's around the thought when it dissolves. Just like the bubble keeps dissolving back into this fathomless ground depth of the ocean. Every inner sound, every outer sound, as we hold it lightly, resting, letting it change, each sound keeps dissolving into that depth of listening. Practicing allowing sounds to end, breaths to end, words to end, allowing things to teach us, to reveal their ephemeral, ever-changing nature. This is the path to non-proliferation. Rumi says, inside the great mystery that is, we do not really own anything. What is this competition we feel then before we go one at a time through the same gate? Inside the great mystery that is, we do not really own anything. What is this competition we feel then before we go one at a time through the same gate. As we pull back and honor the multiplicity, all the sounds, the sensations, in allowing ourselves to rest here. We'll be practicing being here, now. Noticing all the multiplicity of sounds and sights keeps dissolving into this one ground. And how do you put a word? Every, every time one gives a, a Call it an in-breath, it becomes an out-breath. When a bubble's there, you try to say what it is, okay, you can say, well, it's shiny, pop. Somebody else said, no, no, it's empty. It appears. No, there it is, it is, pop. It isn't, it's gone. You can argue. Realizing that the words that we try to use to describe ourselves in this ever-changing, mysterious world are just ways of talking. 
Therefore, the Buddha said, this dharma, this reality, cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. So today, can we hold our descriptions more lightly, realizing the way we think we are, I'm this, I'm that, are just ways of talking, not to be believed like that bubble trying to pass, talk about the whole ocean, keep letting each thought dissolve into the mystery. from the multiplicity of all our backgrounds, all our moods, all our hopes and despairs. Let's begin, we're going to begin with an ancient bowing practice. Not hating the multiplicity, but reminding us of this one ground. This ground of listening this ground of awareness that all the different moments of experience keep merging back into. For those who wish to participate, we'll be using the mantra Namo Konshi Yimpusa, which is the second mantra on your mantra page. Namo means I, I return. I rest in, I honor. Kuan Shri Yin is the name of a great awakened being, the great merciful being of compassion. It's a way of talking about that this world, when we don't practice, seems to be split up into me and you and here and there and all these pieces and all this dead space. But when we start to really, like that child, look more curiously what is really here, then everything we take to be me keeps arising and ceasing and we start to discover this awareness And that everything we take to be me is a bit like that bubble, and as we hold it more lightly, the forms are still forms, but they're appearing within this spaciousness of our listening, our awareness. So Quan Shi Yin means the one who listens to the sounds of the world. Quan means to listen. Yin means sound, sure of the world. Pusa means awakened one. When we listen, we're aligning with that depth of awakening, that sacred ground that's always here now, that the Buddha realized he'd been overlooking for eons. When we bow and touch our head to the ground, it's a way of just honoring that place where everything merges. It's not a threatening move. Just like every, if we look in the city, it's nice to notice, at least where we are in Brooklyn, that as we're walking, Sebanane Freddy's a, a dog, dear dog, who's very upset she couldn't come. She says, this is for all beings, 
Sorry about the aside, but why aren't dogs allowed? If we're helping all beings, I'm going to talk to her about it. But anyway, when we're walking, all the trees, if you notice all the leaves, all the branches, they fall down, they merge back in the ground. You can give names to the different trees and have your favorite tree or the ones that I don't like or what's that tree doing there? That's a wonderful tree. I hope they protect it. But where do all trees merge? The Buddha said that actually this notion of separateness is a, is a, is a trick. It's an illusion. Just like the separateness of trees is an illusion, actually what we see on the surface is just a, a fraction of the tree, that actually that tree is not a tree unless it's drawing from the ground. Go down into its roots and then you find that place where it's being nourished, where you can't distinguish the oak tree from the plane tree, from the sycamore tree, from the pine tree, from the birch and beech trees. All trees merge in the ground. All sounds merge in the silence. All beings merge in the listening. When we bow to Kuan Yin, we're saying a sacred name, a name that reminds us of this ever-present sacred ground of listening. The Buddha taught that there is a living, responsive, kind, compassionate, and wise presence that is our very core, that includes everything. That we remember, we reconnect with when we pause. So beginning uh, uh, with this practice uh, for a few minutes, we can uh, hold the name standing. And then uh, the first, uh, there's a, uh, a C, D that 7A will play that Tanisha and I made uh, in the sacred basement studio in Nashville. And... Uh, my half of the room can bow while her half of the room holds the mantra, and then her half of the room bows slow. When ours comes up, it's an ancient Chinese monastic form. We had a Chinese master that uh, taught us about Kuan Yin. We've been practicing the Kuan Yin dharmas for 36 uh, years and empowered by him to to do this, it's called a universal door because the great compassionate one, Kuan Yin, wants every being to wake up to the jewel in our heart. So there's no envy and stinginess. It's for everyone. When we hold the name and let the name dissolve, it brings us back to that place of listening where we all merge. When you hear the bow, that's the last, the sign that the Tanisha's side of the room that's bowing, that will be the last bow. Then when she comes up, we'll hold this mantra together. It's a way we can, from all our different backgrounds, all our different voices, all our different configurations of who we think and feel we are, to make a sound together, 
to touch this sacred ground of the present moment and touch into that place where we all come together. Mm-hmm.
南无观世音菩萨。I return to the one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. Allowing the sounds to reveal their nature, their empty, perfect, ever shifting and changing nature. Every sound keeps arising, shifting, dissolving into that one that listens. That ground of our all, our own being. Where everything merges, the Buddha taught that the primary misconception about the body and mind is the false view. That the mind dwells inside the physical body. He went on to say, "You do not know that the body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth herself, are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind." We think consciousness is some little sideshow, chemical reaction, maybe located in the brain. But just notice what we can see for ourselves, know for ourselves. He says, actually, the body, as well as the mountains, rivers, empty space, and the great earth, are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. Every sound is appearing and dissolving into this very vibrant listening mind, heart. The sense of our body right now as we open to that ground of Mother Earth, the hardness, the stability. Of the chair or the cushion supporting us, and that pressure, pulsing pressure, of our body touching chair, mat, cushion, ground. That resonance, sensation. That we can listen into is vibrating and shifting right within this awareness. The sense of our body sitting appears within awareness. Steadying our awareness, remembering this reality. The Buddha said, "Is most effective when we begin with the body, because it's relatively speaking slower, rhythmic. 
like that child withdrawing under the rose apple tree, turning our attention to this body sitting, breathing in and out Those very sensations are shifting and changing within this listening, aware heart. Using a word or phrase, not to lead to proliferation, but what the Buddha called a directed phrase or word. He called it vitaka. Like The word brighten, as one breathes in and receives the vitality of the in-breath. Calm, as one relaxes and allows that energy to permeate through the body on the out-breath. Quietly brighten, calm. Rather than thinking big essays, just the word can be another word. It can be here as we breathe in, finding the steadiness of the body sitting. Now, as one breathes out, letting the word dissolve into the vibratory sounds and sensations, noticing the spaces and feeling tone gaps after the words. Brighten, breathing in calm, breathing out. Or here now, one can use Quan Yin. If the mind wants just to go quiet, that's okay too, but the pathway of non-proliferation the Buddha said, is to use a word but be aware of how each word dissolves. Letting ourselves rest in between the words. And if a flurry of thoughts comes, we just let them like birds through the sky or sounds through the silence. But we come back to our conscious directed phrase Brighten as we receive the life force of the in-breath, calm as we relax and allow that energy to mingle, permeate, suffuse into the body. Letting any phrase we use just remind us to be here and then lead to receiving a deep reception as we receive the sensations and the sounds, letting them shift and change within this unmoving, ever-present ground of our presence of awareness. If we're using a phrase, hold it lightly just a quiet thought reminding us to stay here 
doesn't need to disturb the calm. Even the first deep level of calm, what the Buddha called first jhana, has a thought with it, like in, out, or brighten, calm, or here, now. Just ever so lightly let that phrase remind us just to be here sitting, listening, breathing. Whatever occurs is just stuff shifting, changing all within the jewel. It can never be tarnished. The core of cores, the sacred home where all beings have a homecoming is always here now inviting us. making peace with sound, allowing the movement of sensations and sounds just to be what it is, in accepting movement, we find ourselves resting in the stillness that's not fighting anything. The body knows how to breathe, even when we're asleep. So, holding it gently, the breathing. One's trying too hard, one can consciously take a long in-breath, finding our body, receiving the brightening vitality of breathing in, quietly, slowly, Breathe out as we soften the forehead, the jaw, the shoulders, the belly, surrendering and feeling the support of ground, letting go, and then just letting the breathing be however it wants to be. If we're using a phrase, just letting that lightly appear in the heart and then dissolve, like brighten as we breathe in, and calm, relax as we breathe out. Resting in that ground of listening, of awareness, Rather than chasing different thoughts, we're doing what Kuan Yin does, return the hearing, letting every sound take us back home. Every sound is like a taxi. It arises and dissolves back in here, this core, this place of boundlessness. The Buddha said the essence of every single moment, every single circumstance, 
which we get fooled by, but the essence is freedom. So keep allowing for a while every sound, every breath to take us back just to this home base of listening. All the time in the world to be present with the span of one in-breath. All the time in the world of the present for an out-breath. However we sense our body, breathing, being with that sensation as we breathe in and as we breathe out, relaxing, calming, widening the awareness, letting those sensations mingle with the rest of the body. Brightening and calming. surrounded by an ocean of vitality, each in-breath we receive, life-giving. Vitality, each out-breath, just relax. What we breathe out, the trees breathe in. The trees on this great earth breathe out what we breathe in. allowing our awareness to be relaxed, open, within that gentle, easeful awareness, noticing sound, flickering, shifting, changing. within the silent listening. The flow of sounds interwoven with the pressure, swelling and subsiding, tingling, pleasant, neutral, and painful sensations of the body. Notice how they, every instant, shift and change. As we breathe in and out, all this change we can quietly think the thought, what remains? 
quietly allow that thought to vibrate in the heart what remains and letting the heart the thought dissolve the sounds and sensations change but the awareness the listening, the heart itself remains. Any name we give is just a name that dissolves back into what remains. Honoring the periphery, honoring the forms of sounds and sensations and sights but when we deeply honor them, we realize they keep dissolving into what remains. This is called returning to the source. The nature is not to. Manjushri talking about Kuan Yin's meditation as we listen in to where every sound takes us. Every breath and experience keeps dissolving back. Into what remains. Holding lightly. We call it my body. Can we really control? This cascading flow of life, can we really absolutely control it? So with each out-breath as we let be, let go, let things come and go, touching into this sacred ground that remains where all things merge. That unifying, listening silence where every distinct sound melts back into the heart of listening. Sitting, practice, remembering. We get dismembered, dislocated, fractured, broken by our proliferating mind, panicking about the future, tangled in the past, remembering, realign with this ground of the body sitting, mindful, heartful of a breath in and out, 
letting every sound that arises and ceases align us with this centrality of listening, of awareness. Brightening, calming, relaxing, in accepting the periphery of sounds and sensations, we discover that center of awareness, that which remains, no matter how many times we're lost. Any moment of waking up, here we are, beginning again. So giving ourselves the opportunity to savor this permission to temporarily withdraw from all the tangles of having to be somebody special. Not to deny the importance of our uniqueness, but just for a time returning that hearing to this remembering of just the simplicity of sitting, breathing, and in about five minutes or so, we'll take a pause for a, for a break. Those who wish to do some gentle movement, qigong, very gentle coordinating breath and movement, again, just to align, to unify, to simplify, encouraging us to use these uh, five minutes or so as we pause before the qigong starts uh, for a bathroom break or just to stretch just to give ourselves permission to hold the silence not a dead silence but a living a silence giving us permission to listen to that place where we all come together in the listening, the listening holds all of us as one. We're listening. There'll be a chance later to have some discussion, but to listen. And those who wish to do the uh, qigong, we'll do some in about uh, uh, five minutes or so. Sounds come and go. The breath swells and subsides. Sensations flicker. Perceptions and thoughts move through the heart. What remains?
with each out-breath, letting go, resting in that relaxed, innate ground of listening. Gently holding. The Buddha compared it to holding a bird. You don't hold too tightly, it will hurt the bird. Very gentle. Too loosely, it just flies away. Just so gently, staying with the sensations of the body. With each out-breath, we let go so that they naturally still, the sensations flow, mingle, mix. Resting in that essence that never dies, what the Buddha called the amatadatu, the deathless, or he called it our original brightness, the place where all things merge, where we remember our kinship with each other and with all beings, animal, plant, seen and unseen, as we let go into the listening, returning to our home ground. From here, knowing where we all merge, we don't harm each other. To others as to myself, We remember everyone feels, doesn't want pain, wants ease. Finishing this morning's practice as we keep returning to that place of listening. Coming to the ending of the morning's practice, checking how we are, however we think we are, just noticing that very thought appears and dissolves like that bubble. The feelings, the sensations, we call them me, but they really follow their own law. Spending a few moments remembering that this so-called me can't exist on its own. Appreciating what supports us, this embodied me continually needs the in-breath and the out-breath. Just aware that this me is continually being fed. It's interwoven with all that is around us. 
And as we prepare for our for those who are going to eat something, this body needs water, nourishment. If we're going to eat, just to remember that food that we'll receive in this informal time between one and two carries the energy of the sun, the wind, the rain, Mother Earth. That this body needs food. And this so-called separate me has been in our mind. All morning we've been contemplating teachings of the Buddha. My presence is in your mind. Your presence is in my mind experience. The so-called me and you totally interwoven. So when we know that, the Buddha says, we let go and just enjoy sharing because we're all part of one fabric, one merging ground. So finishing with a gift, wishing may all the goodness of our good fortune that in the midst of a vibrant, busy, never sleeping town, we have a a place we can go and pause. We have kindred spirits that encourage us to listen and remember. We have liberating teachings from the saints and sages of ancient times. Finishing the morning's practice with a gift wishing may this goodness be shared above, below, and all around with everyone, near and far, like a pebble dropping into a pool, sends ripples in all directions. So too as we relax with each out breath, may the blessings of our efforts this morning be shared with all beings. Letting Kuan Yin's mantra number five, Om Mani Padme Hum, carry that gift. Om honors the totality of the universe to the farthest galaxies, inward to the smallest cells, in form and in spirit, consciousness and form. Om honors it all. Mani means the jewel of the undying awareness, which is the core of all cores. Padme is the lotus, the thousand-petaled lotus of all the different circumstances of life, up and down and happy and unhappy, like and not like, birth and death. Hum means amen. May all beings wake up to that shining jewel of awareness that's right here, the sacred ground of our being. Om Mani Padme Hum. Om.
Thank you for joining us in this beautiful way. Uh, we have an opportunity to pause, to eat something if one wishes. Well, we've decided for those who really want to keep drinking in the, the quiet, can we use this space right here for, uh, for staying quiet? Just so for, for those who really want to keep restoring and remembering. Uh, but we have the opportunity to also go outside to get something to eat if one wishes. This afternoon, starting at 2, Tanisra will guide us with a talk, uh, with some meditation, with some inquiry. Working with these themes, I've been looking at our relationship to thought and me and my stuff. And there'll be opportunity for discussion, too. So please, if you have the uh, time, please join us for this afternoon. Uh, it's been lovely being with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.